another episode of our podcast, Let's Talk Cloud Networking. Your hosts today are myself, John Gonzalez, and Nuan Mustafa. And as per usual, we invite experts from the cloud industry to candidly share their knowledge, their customer learnings, and experiences during their cloud journey. More importantly, we want to understand how our guests are thinking about and also tackling what we would call the most fundamental infrastructure in the cloud, which is cloud networking and cloud networking security. So today, I'm really pleased to let everyone know that we're joined by Asif Masmood. Asif is a tech industry expert and senior manager of application development, and we're lucky to have him with us here today. Hello, Asif. Please, could you go ahead and introduce yourself, give our audience a flavor of a little bit of it, but your background, what you do, where you come from, etc. Sure. Uh, thank you, John. Um, just a little correction on the name. It's Asif Masood, uh, but no oh. worries. Uh, <laughs> I apologize. <laughs> no, no, no worries. <laughs> um, yeah, a little bit about myself. I started my I I, I started my uh, IT journey from um, or at the Sears Holdings Corporation. Uh, so I was there for many years. I started off as a programmer, a COBOL programmer. Um, at that time, you you had a choice, uh, either COBOL or assembler. And you know, in the training program, you had to pick one of the two. And I ended up picking COBOL at the time and did my journey on mainframe programming. You know, worked my way up. I was a easel programmer, then a Java programmer. I did Java for many years. Uh, then did uh, PeopleSoft, which Oracle eventually uh, brought bought up. Um, then I transitioned into many different things, uh, database architect um, and uh, eventually principal architect where I led a, a team of architects, uh, back office architects at the Sears Holdings Corporation. And we implemented many applications. Um, a couple that stand out are JDA as well as um, Ephesus, which was a signing application. Um, ultimately, at the end of my career th there, we were migrating things to AWS. Um, I got laid off in 2018, then started working at True Value as a senior manager of application development. Um, and I did three basic things there. I, I led the team of architects there, uh, the architecture review board, which we met weekly, uh, then led projects in the logistics area. And most recently, uh, my big project was to lead a migration of on-prem uh, infrastructure to the GCP cloud. And that's where I ran into or met the folks at Aviatrix as we were looking for a networking solution. Um, you know, we met with multiple partners. Um, Cisco uh, was one that stands out and a couple others looking for the easiest way to set up routing in the cloud. Um, and they didn't really have a solution at that time. You're just talking about 18 months ago. And then we met with Cole. Uh, from Aviatrix, and you know, he talked us through, um, and pretty fast we learned that you know this is what we wanted to do. This was going to be our solution for networking routing um, within the cloud and even outside of the cloud. Um, and so we signed a contract and have been um, using Aviatrix. Um, we're, we actually fully migrated uh, just in February, and you know, we've been live actually with Aviatrix. We went live last year as we were starting to migrate stuff, but fully live with everything um, this past March, uh, where we had uh, over 250 servers uh, migrated over into GCP. Wow, that's a really exciting career you've had to see from programming to app development okay. to cloud and cloud networking. It's uh, very varied. A lot of experience. 
Great to have you awesome. here with us today. Pretty, uh, fascinating and uh, welcome to the show here. One thing that strikes me is uh, we actually talk to many experts. Um, uh, I think this is probably around 34th uh, episode that we are doing now. <laughs> but uh, one of the things that strikes me is, um, you know, you as a customer, you guys uh, chose uh, GCP as uh, your primary cloud provider. Uh, and also, uh, so maybe that one of the question is, you know, why GCP and not AWS and Azure? What was the key reasons? Uh, it's not that GCP is bad. It's just that uh, AWS came first and Azure started to yep. become more mature. GCP is also coming up really, really quickly. Same with Oracle. But what would be the reasons? Uh, is it the cost? Is it the application uh, needs? Um, that's one. And second is you mentioned about networking, right? You're looking for a simple networking solution and you looked at many vendors uh, and you came up, uh, you selected Aviatrix. But is that something that you identified as at the start of the migration process or it's only when you went inside the cloud and you start seeing the issues, like the gaps that cloud uh, provided is when you start looking at the solution? Because sometimes when you are migrating applications, all you are thinking about is application uh, refactoring, application lift and shift. You're not really thinking about, I mean, does it have the right security, right visibility, the enterprise grade? Uh, simplicity and operational capabilities, right? So that's two questions for me is, you know, why GCP? And second is, when did you realize that you need to have a solution like Avatrix as sure. part of the overall migration process? Yeah, no, I'll answer the first question. And yes, it was it was mostly cost, right? So you're, so you're right, AWS came first. They probably still have about 75% of the market, although as you're at GCP, are slowly chipping away, right? Um, because of, probably because of cost, right? Um, and for us, you know, we initially started going down the AWS path. Um, I think that was going to be our uh, go forward solution, but then we quickly realized that the Windows costs were going to be too much for us. Like if we weren't getting anything um, from migrating over to AWS. And so our um, vendor partner, uh, HCL, who does our support, um, you know, they suggested, cause they have a relationship with GCP cause they've been an early uh, partner with them. And so, they suggested and they worked out a deal for us uh, to reduce the Windows licensing costs, uh, so which allowed us just from a pure cost perspective to move over to GCP and we're choosing GCP over AWS because of that relationship and because of that deal that was made. Uh, so that's that was the first question. Um, does that answer that question? Is there any follow up on yeah, that one? Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. No, good. Yeah, so the second uh, question, um, when did we um, decide Aviators? We decided early on. I, I would say we had some good network engineers. Um, so we had um, HCL network engineers, and we also had a couple of network engineers on our end. As we started talking through how we wanted to do the routing, um, I think with the other uh, partners we were looking at, there would have to have been a lot of manual work and manual maintenance, especially anytime we wanted to add either a new subnet or uh, basically new subnets. Um, so what Aviatrix provided was a single pane of glass, right? Um, as far as manage from a management perspective, but also instead of having to go into each of these routers uh, to put in the new subnets and to manage the new subnets and manage all of those things, we were able to do it from a GUI, which the other providers could not do. And so for that reason, um, as we, you know, um, as we learned that it was gonna be from a maintenance standpoint, easier to do, we chose this solution even before we moved a single uh, server to GCP. 
So I see. Would you say then you you chose Aviatrix because they were best of breed for doing the networking for HCL uh, or for true true value? Um, and if so, then the um, the the outcome that it delivered for you there. Could you give us some insight into if you hadn't chosen an avia the Aviatrix solution, what do you think the outcome would have been? with GCP or with AWS or with any other cloud provider in terms of networking? Yeah, so and I'm not a network engineer, so I will no. relate to you what the kind of guys had told me and, mm -hmm. and when we went into choosing this. So, you know, we had multiple VPCs um, inside of GCP. Um, you know, we had a management VPC and then we also had our, our production VPCs. We had our dev VPCs, UAT, QA, you know, all of those things. Um, and then uh, I forget the central VPC. So there's a central VPC that kind of coordinates. I forget the name of that, but anyway, transit, transit. transit gateway. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So um, the routing in between all of those. And then so then you also have the Cisco firewalls or actually not Cisco. We have uh, well, we have Meraki's and then we've got uh, actually Cisco firewall. So all of that network traffic, um, you know, you need something to to ma maintain the routes of all of those traffics all of that traffic right and so what aviatrix especially inside of gcp now we didn't use it necessarily to route traffic outside of gcp but inside of gcp which is where your um where you play where your program uh, playground is it's more of the cloud routing right not on-prem writing although you do have some solutions um edges you know i think aviatrix yeah. edges where you have that that's not something that we utilized um so you know if we have questions on that i'll come back to that but Right now, inside of the cloud, inside of the cloud routing, and specifically routing in between the VPCs, is where um, you automate really well because you create your spokes, and as you create your spokes, you create the routing for all of those. And so, anytime we need to change anything in there, you know, you go in and uh, very easily you can, um, you know, change that. If we had to manually do that. What we found was that it just hours of work, anytime we needed to change something, you would have to manually go in and manually change the routing between all of those spokes. If you had any subnet changes, if you had any uh, um, new VPCs, um, anything like that, it would have to be very manual, very cumbersome from my understanding. Yeah. And, and of course, anything manual, Leads to risk and potential uh, risk, um, well. uh, human yeah. error, uh, all that. Stuff. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I think the uh, operational simplicity um, is is one of the big things in the cloud uh, because your uh, lowest common denominator and uh, is is your operations team. If you basically are not building a solution that can easily be managed by operations team, you will not be able to scale. Yes, some of the smart people can go and do a DIY and build things to show it works, but that's not the solution the solution needs to be operationally simple for operations team to manage it and then keep your sla higher mean time resolution uh, lower as uh, as lower as possible one of the questions i, I do have um, uh, for you asif is uh, you also mentioned that you do ha also have aws right and this this is a common trend that now we are starting to see is aws customers stepping into gcp or gcp customers have an extension into aws this becoming a a combination of two clouds normally you know on an average people use two and a half clouds based on the research and based on the studies but why aws why are you using aws what is the use case that's uh, driving that need 
So, and we also have multiple, or True Value also has multiple clouds, right? So um, we do have a presence in AWS. GCP is our big presence now. We still have an IBM mainframe, right? So that, which is in the IBM cloud now. And then we have Oracle ERP, right? So, so we do have to um, manage traffic in between all of those pieces. Now, to your question, uh, why we do we still have AWS? So we still have a couple of applications in AWS. The challenge there is they were written with AWS specific pieces, right? So um, it's not easy to migrate. It's not cost effective to migrate because anytime, so, so we can do it, right? It would be an easy, you can't just lift and shift it like we did with on-prem because we picked a lot of AWS specific pieces. So you would have to rewrite that code. The challenge then becomes from a business standpoint to do a like for like where the business is not getting anything, they're not gonna wanna pay for something like that, right? So for that reason, we still have a couple applications still sitting in AWS. I see. And a lot of times what I see is um, GCP, um, they stand out uh, normally on the analytics part. Right, the BigQuery solutions, the Vertex AI, they're just better, right? So they're just better. A lot of our customers, they, they leverage the AI and machine learning capabilities to drive more customers towards them, right? So it's not about cost at that point. It's more about, you know, am I going to have an edge over my competition? Uh, if And if I'm not using a, the best AI solution, then it's not just about cost anymore. But from your perspective, do you have any... AI capabilities. Um, I'm sure that you're using it for basic infrastructure and IS and um, you know PaaS services. But from AI perspective, do you have certain use cases in GCP too? Not so. Nothing live at this point. Um, I, 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 without saying, I mean, there's stuff in the works, right? So what I will say without giving away any trade tickets in that sense, um, it's kind of our first, our first pass was to get stuff moved over. Right, so kind of what we're looking at now is um, any new development gets done in GCP, um, and then uh, the other part of that is how can we leverage and use kind of what you said, uh, GCP's strong suits, right? And everybody knows AI. AI, I mean, it's just in the last two weeks there's been so much conversation about artificial intelligence, right? So those things are coming um, for our true value as well, right? So. Great. I see if I've got a question, take you back to your app development days. Do, are you seeing any sort of applications being written or being considered now for multi-cloud deployment? Um, the reason I ask is I was talking to a tier one financial only the other day, and their concern was from the regulator, it's not good enough if an AZ fails to fail over to another availability zone in whatever cloud you're in. You need to be able to either move that application back on-prem or move it to a different cloud altogether and have it working as it should be. So we, so we, didn't your... have, we have not had that use case. Um, uh, for us, it was okay because it, it's, in, it's in a totally different zone, right? It, totally different mm -hmm. state, like over probably 1,500 miles away. And so for a disaster to hit both locations is probably unlikely. And I guess if something like that does happen, probably we're not caring about what's going on at work at that point, right? So <laughs> we're in like craziness, right? So um, so it hasn't been a use case for us. We do have our primary in central, and then we have 
our uh, um, secondary in a different site, uh, completely redundant for our major applications, right? Um, and that that was okay for our uh, for our business partners. Do Do you think it's coming though? An application that's multi-cloud ready? I, you know, as you ask that question, um, and I don't. So the questions for me would be: Would it be in a failover state? Because I don't know that you could have. Like, how would you load balance across two different clouds? That would be my first question, right? Because um, that would have to live somewhere, right? In one of the two clouds, yeah. right? So so would that make any sense? Or would it be in a sense that, okay, you're live in one cloud and then you would fail over to another cloud, right? That So those were, kind of, I guess, some yeah. of the questions that would come up for me around something like that. Yeah, so I think um, the way I think, uh, the way I think, uh, John, from, from that angle is at minimum, applications needs to be cloud agnostic meaning mm -hmm. that you should it should be portable and that's the whole concept of kubernetes yeah. and dockers and containers comes in right but if your applications are portable and they're not tied to a certain cloud specific needs then you can basically rely on uh, you know modern networking and security type of stacks to be able to do failover for you right, right? Uh, right. it could be multiple stacks obviously monitoring needs to be portable Networking security yeah. needs to be portable. And one good example, which I think is a good segue, is around security, right? Security, yeah. if you start to do a fractured security where AWS has their own security model, uh, Google has their own security model, uh, Azure has their own security model, on-prem branches have their own security model, then there is no way you can actually meet those requirements that you're talking about. Because now you're saying, okay, my AWS goes down, I need to move it to Azure, Okay, your uh, applications might be portable, but what about your security posture? What about your operations team? Do you have a single dashboard that can configure the policy and then convert your intent into something that makes sense for Azure and GCP and Oracle and abstract all that complexity away? So in a way, Vitrix, as, as you were saying, that that single pane of glass that you were mentioning that we're doing the ease of management of routing and controls it's now also doing security in the exact same way where you define your policy and we basically translate that into what it means to AWS or Azure or GCP or when you move your portable application from one uh, AZ to other AZ or from one cloud to other cloud, you don't have to redo your security. We will translate that what it means uh, to your other cloud, for example, and then uh, make it uh, appear the exact same way. So very consistent way of security, which again, uh, simplifies thing and simplicity is the best uh, efficiency in, in the cloud world where i think a lot of ways times people uh, try to over complicate things and if you try to do it in a fractured way it will over complicate things for your cloud and then the way it shows normally up is your speed of migration speed of agility you're not going to achieve you know what your cios ctos or heads are trying to achieve with the cloud migrations you will not be able to it will it will i'm sure that as if you have seen that if you introduce complexity anywhere, it eventually results into something that's not able to meet the deadlines from a CIO office, from a CTO project that you want to do. One way or the other, it will show in terms of lack of agility, which will hurt the business in general. So what, any statement or comment on that? No, that, that's true. I mean, I think going back to what you were saying earlier, multiple clouds, um, that's the challenge. If you make things agnostic, cloud agnostic, and like you said, you could probably do that for the application. It's harder to do for the infrastructure, uh, but but the other part of that also becomes, then you don't use the strengths of that cloud, right? And and so so it's it's almost like a chicken and egg because 
if you do, and I don't know that you can do completely everything agnostic, but if you did everything or at least as much as you can and you're not using the strengths of that cloud, what have you necessarily gained, right? So with AWS, they have their strengths and that's part of the reason why we why you would go with AWS or the same thing with GCP or with Azure, uh, but then you can't be cloud agnostic. So th those, that's still a conversation, right? A any company would need to have and work through and what is their priority, right? Um, and then based on that, they can, they'll make that decision and go down that path. Um, and from a security perspective, so, so you're saying, since we're not in multiple, multiple clouds, right? We didn't necessarily have this conversation, but you're saying Aviatrix from a security standpoint would do that for you. So that would make things a lot easier. Some things, at least from a networking standpoint, we would, or a networking security standpoint, we would not need to think about, we would have to address some of the other things that maybe have to go, have to, uh, that we would have to go through to make something cloud agnostic. But simplicity is definitely, like you said, it make it, you know, less points of failure, um, better performance and, you know, less headaches in that sense. So I think one thing um, you had sent this document and I think this is coming uh, from Aviatrix, but we did have probably over-engineered in a sense, like if I, we went back and designed it now, we would probably learn from kind of what we did because, you know, we have the um, transit gateway that you talked about. We've got the management VPC, we've got our uh, other subnets, then we've got our Cisco uh, setup, right? And a lot of our traffic is hitting that Cisco firewall device to, to be inspected, right? It, um, and it, it, do we need to do it that way, I guess, is my question. If we had to redesign it, would we do it the same way? Can we come up with a simpler solution is definitely something I would ask now, having lived through that, right? So. <laughs> Yeah, so wait for our um, wait for our announcement uh, at the end of this week. We are introducing a, a new security capability into our software platform, which will be distributed in nature, distributed cloud firewall, um, L7 L7 enabled, um, and it will just completely change the way we do things um, security-wise in the cloud itself. It will make things much better, and I think, I mean, normally there's no wrong things. Um, from an architecture perspective um, so far in the cloud because everybody sort of try to do things as they're learning right but at the same time <clears throat> we have now better ways of doing things you can optimize it you can learn from your uh, previous designs and architectures what worked well what did not work well and how can you further optimize how can you reduce cost because cost is also another big <clears throat> thing that you know you can have the most wonderful capability, but it can be the most costly as well, right? And it can completely uh, derail the initial objectives of why you actually wanted to go into the cloud in the first place, right? So keeping an eye on the cost as well as uh, making sure that you have the best optimal architecture with simplicity, visibility, and security all in embedded into the network is something that, uh, you know, we are going to announce uh, soon from a security angle. Okay, perfect. How, how about if we could give you lower costs and better security, you see. Would you bite our hand off? Best of both worlds, right? So. Yeah. And, and and that's going to be the announcement, and it's it's proven. It's not just um, sound bites. You know, we we yeah, we prove it, um, and we we live it every day. So I said uh, one 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 more thing. Yeah. I wanted to find out that you know partners, right? Partners they play a, a, a incredible role in terms of uh, helping enterprises migrate from 
um, they're on-prem towards the cloud. They have the skills that they, you can augment, right, to help you with the migration. Um, what has been your experience working with the various type of partners? Right, one of the things that me and John uh, these days are focusing on is, is uh, you know, working with partners, SIs, MSPs, big SIs, uh, technology integration, CSP alliances themselves. But what has been your experience and what would be your advice to other customers who are looking to tap into a partner to help with the migration or to manage the environment? Uh, what are key things that you have learned and what would be your recommendation? Sure. Um, so, I mean, obviously the partner that we work with was HCL. I mean, there were probably multiple, not probably, there were multiple companies that bid on that migration uh, piece, right? And ultimately HCL uh, won out. I, I think that the plus of that was uh, they also um, were part of our support organization, right? So having that relationship made it a lot easier. Like, so if someone else came in, not to say that they wouldn't have been able to partner with HCL support, but since they, they're the same company, it made that uh, that communication, that partnership a lot more seamless and a lot easier and probably a lot cheaper. Um, and so I think if a company could do that, it makes things a lot easier. Um, I, so th that's the one that I know, right? So I, I can basically speak to that. Um, I think, um, you know, we did it in stages. So that that was definitely uh, how it needed to happen. Um, I think where maybe we um, didn't expect, uh, you know, some learns that we got was that we thought we would be able to do a migration a week. That that was a little silly to, to from a planning perspective. Uh, to be able to do because there's always fallout in uh, you know, the following week and there's always, you know, it's just to be expected, right? Uh, so from a planning perspective, don't do things so tight. That was definitely one thing. Um, and another challenge that came up because on-prem, we did not have to, uh, from a firewall perspective, know every single port that needed to be opened up, right? We had, um, you know, from because it was all internal communication, right? If we had to go out, then obviously those had to be uh, put in through our firewall. But inside of GCP, from server to server communication, you know, you have to be very specific on the ports. And so we we ran into some challenges there in figuring out all the ports that needed to be opened up between all the different servers, all the different databases, all the different applications. And so that proved to be a challenge, even though we had um, an application that we used early on to trace traffic, it wasn't, it was about 80% accurate. And so there was a lot of things afterwards from a debugging standpoint, once we got applications up that, you know, they were being blocked for one reason or another, and we have to just troubleshoot through that. So that was a, that was a big learn. So what do you do in the yeah. end? Open up to a wide range of ports and then after a period of time, narrow it down again when you see the exactly. traffic flow. Uh, yeah, yeah. The security definitely did not like us. They don't like stuff, that, right? no. <laughs> and I don't blame them, especially in the cloud. Yeah. <laughs> I guess, Asif, um, this has been great. Well, I, I, you know, if, it, if, it's, um, if you're open to it, would you, would you care to leave our audience with two or three takeaways, um, you know, that you've picked up throughout your um, industry knowledge or experience, something that we could all learn from? Yeah, uh, I mean, as I this? mentioned, John, um, about, yeah, sorry, so, so I said, how about two key, key, two key takeaways and one, you know, 
advice. So let's let's say basically, you know, with all the experience that you have, right? So because I think what I feel is a lot of people who are listening can resonate with your experience. They started from on-prem days. They went to a data center world. They made the cloud journey. Not everybody is lucky to be able to do this cloud, uh, you know, in migration um, experience, right? Uh, to graduate from on-prem to cloud and being able to have that experience of migrating things in the cloud and running it successfully. What's in it? What's your next ambition that you want to embark on and what people can learn from, right? That could be one from a career perspective, but then two other key takeaways I think would be good. Thank you. No, thank you. Thank you. I appreciate that. Um, you know, as I mentioned, uh, obviously, um, what Aviatrix brought to the table from a routing perspective was huge, right? So I'll start there. Um, I think the other piece um, that I really appreciated about Aviatrix was the relationship building. And relationships are really important to me. It's something that I um, that I look at anywhere I work, um, any project that I do, uh, you know, the work's gonna get done. Uh, so one way or another, the work gets done, but it's the relationships and the people um, that, that you meet and that you work with that are really important. And uh, th- what I would say about Aviatrix is that you guys have been, you guys were with us every step of the way. Right, you might not be the biggest player in the market, uh, but you are keen on relationships. Anytime we needed anything, uh, you were fast to jump on calls with us. Um, you know, even if the, it wasn't your problem, you know, multiple times you guys helped us debug through um, and work through issues and suggestions and how you know what can we, uh, how do we, you know, what path can we go down to resolve the issue, even if it wasn't an Aviatrix issue. So that is one thing that I would say about Aviatrix. I'm assuming you do that with every company, like we were anything unique, <laughs> right? In that sense, uh, that you guys, um, you know, step up to the table and work with your uh, partner, your relationships, and um, success, and you know, make it a success one way or the other. Um, and so that is something I definitely wanted to mention. Um, as far as what's next, I don't know from my perspective, right? Because I have done all of these things. I'm looking. Um, so I don't think I mentioned, but I, you know, I got laid off a couple of weeks ago. They were downsizing. Um, you know, great. I, I finished this project uh, and I left, I, I, you know, I, on a high, right? I, you know, we we migrated all of these servers. We closed down a data center, and that was the end of my journey here. So for me, I'm looking for that next um, thing that's going to inspire me. That's going to because what's important to me is relationships. Is a it, it is a company uh, that's uh, not necessarily cutting edge, but that's doing something, but also doing something, giving giving back. I guess that's mm-hmm. the other thing that's important to me. You know, especially in this world, um, you know that that is a challenge, right? So, um, I guess you know we didn't really talk about this, but what happened with George Floyd a couple of years ago and where the country is heading—that is one something that True Value did well. We had a great diversity, equity, and inclusion group. Um, and, you know, we talked about what happened um, in the world because it affects all of us as employees. Right. Um, and so I, my next company is going to be a company that is doing something um, either to help the community or either officially or, you know, that's something that they believe in. Right. So that's important to me. And the last piece that I'll leave with is the relationship building. You know, we did these projects, um, you know, it was an 18 month 18 month project and we were doing migrations probably if not every weekend every other weekend um how do we take care of our people 
How did we make sure that they were doing well on these calls? And, you know, um, early on, I was making sure our teams took breaks because we were on calls for 12 hours, sometimes to 36 hours, right? So how do we have rotations? How do we make sure we're taking care of our people? Maybe even sometimes how do we have meditation sessions for 10, 15 minutes while these things are going on, right? So that I think is very important for me. You don't want to have burnout, especially when you have long projects. So how do we make sure we take care of our people, um, you know, on projects like this, um, I think is important. And I think that's a great way to, you know, end this session. <laughs> that's awesome. fantastic. It's, it's, it's awesome. And it's, um, it's great to hear from people like you about aviatrix, um, you know, rather than hearing from an aviatrix employee. Um, so thank you so much for your sure, time. My pleasure. And you're awesome. sharing your, your knowledge and experience with us. I'll uh, pause the recording. Um,